Happy Friday, everybody. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web, coming to you from the front lines in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, New York City has now been dubbed the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. I'm sitting in my restaurant, Della, in Brooklyn, New York. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. I'm your host, Jeremiah Fox. We are trying to get everything synced up through Zoom, the new communication tool of the universe. Uh, so bear with us as we try to get everything put together here. Um, waiting for my guest to join via satellite. And there he is. There he goes. He was there. He was there for a minute. We'll bring him back in just a minute. My guest today. I'm here. He's here. I can see you. I can hear you. This is so, so strange. Awesome. So this is my guest, Aaron Felder. He used to live across the street from me here in the Winter Terrace section of Brooklyn. Uh, he and I trained jiu-jitsu together for quite a while as well. He relocated to Yonkers briefly, and he is now in Philadelphia and is the current CEO of the Food Trust, which has, uh, has, a, has a big role these days. There's a lot happening there. Say hi, Aaron. What's going on? Hey, hey, there's something I want to say to you that I haven't said to anybody in weeks. You ready? I'm ready. Us. Us. <laughs> We're good. Aaron, Aaron just hijacked the message of the week. <laughs> That's great, because I didn't have one. Us. <laughs> so, us is a Japanese term. It means a number of things, uh, depending on the context of uh, who you're speaking to in, in the situation. I just uh, always said it to you whenever you tap me out, like every 30 seconds. <laughs> every time he got choked, he was like, um, but one of its one of the early underlying meanings that I uh, discovered of it that really stuck with me was it, it means to push and to preserve. And I think that's a really valuable, uh, really va valuable bit of information right now because we're we're under some severe pressure everybody the world the country regionally uh industry wise um and and that's all we really have right now right is perseverance <laughs> it also means hi it also means thank you it also means i understand it also means that was a good submission. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like saying Smurf, but in jujitsu. <laughs> Smurf. <laughs> Maybe. So that's it. Push and preserve. That's the message of the week. Os in Japanese. That Yeah, I mean, that that's the message of the week, I think, for everybody. And it's been my mantra in work and, and in my personal life has just been you can't do anything better than your best, right? And so right. that's all we're all trying to do. Right. And, and uh, you and I were talking earlier about how I have about five minutes in the morning every day when I wake up where um, I've forgotten that all this is happening and it just kind of seems like a nightmare. But then the panic slowly creeps in on me. Yeah. And then the day happens. <laughs> and for me, it's often the opposite where I wake up in a panic and then I start to move around and open things and do things. And then I'm like, OK, the world is not over yet we're still here so it, it hits everybody in a different way um and and the more signs of life i get the better i feel like just getting outside and, and walking and like getting fresh air or maybe a little workout and certainly uh the course of the day as i get 
busy. You know, my businesses are fortunately still able to operate, um, but there's a double-edged sword because it puts me in contact with people, <laughs> which you're in a way not it's supposed to do. Back. Yeah, um, <laughs> we, you know, we're doing all. Everybody's doing their best to uh, take the necessary precautions to stay, you know, clean and hygienic. And I was telling you earlier, like in the restaurant industry, it's always been a thing. Like you always wash your hands like 50 times a shift. You just do it. Like do it publicly. All the sinks are, you know, there's always visible sinks. So people, customers can see you washing your hands. That's a really big deal, but it's just for cleanliness. And then also just like never ever touch your face or your hair while you're working. Like it doesn't matter if you're a bartender or a server, a cook, a dishwasher, like you just never do that uh so hopefully i've been trained enough in this after over 25 years in the restaurant industry that it's habit and i'm, I'm keeping myself safe but we're, like i said we're doing our best trying to take all the necessary precautions to to stay safe but still get people some 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 food and some wine um the food is necessary the wine people people you know the wine is necessary. It's so I knew you were going to say that. It <laughs> can still be open. Um, yes. So speaking of food. Yes, um, speak of food. Yeah, so the, the food trust where I'm actually interim CEO, uh, but I, I, I've, in case any board members are listening, I've thrown my hat in the ring to become permanent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the food trust is both, both a local organization in Philadelphia, but also nationally, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, rattle off the whole mission statement but yeah basically it exists so that people don't have to make a choice between having enough food and having nutritious food right mm -hmm. and so we closed our office about two weeks ago and there's since been a confirmed case of the virus in our in our building um yeah. so, so you know i'm sure that's probably the case in every big um office sure. building in every city sure. um and, and the, the office is in Philly, is that correct? The, so the, the, the main office, the administrative office is in Center City of Philadelphia, but programming is all over the country. Right. Uh, we, we have offices in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, um, California, and then technical assistance projects going on all over the country. So it's both a small organization and a huge organization. Um, right. Exists mainly to provide access to good food in food deserts. So we have a lot of partnerships, hundreds and hundreds of them with um, entire public school districts like Philadelphia and um, Camden, New Jersey, where uh, we go in and do education and demonstrations and then partnerships with bodegas um, in cities all over the country where we help them get financing for refrigeration equipment help them learn how to purchase and stock uh, perishable foods so that people aren't just, um, you know, so people who do their shopping in places like that aren't just buying canned stuff. Right. And then we, we used to do cooking demonstrations and hand out samples. But as this whole thing started to creep up on us, um, that was one of the first things to go, um, both for hygiene and because everybody was running in looking for hand sanitizer and paper towels. Yeah. <laughs> and toilet paper. And toilet paper. What Aaron didn't mention was that uh, starting next month, his company's going to change the name to the Toilet Paper Trust. Because <laughs> it has become more of a commodity than, than, than food, right? Than food, and we can't be, can't be going out with, with nasty asses. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I can. Maybe you can. But <laughs> um, so right now, the, especially the, the partnerships with the 
with the bodegas and the, the local corner store it seems like it would be super instrumental because in a lot of especially in parts of brooklyn and queens uh and manhattan that's often uh some people's closest and most convenient uh reliable source of food and if they have what we really need right now is nutritious food and not to eat a bunch of junk and super processed food we need our immune systems high and a lot of that comes through diet and accessibility to food um so it, you, your role is is pretty big right now yeah and exactly but but um I think early last week I made the decision to pull all of our community staff out. So they're not working in the corner stores anymore, but we're keeping those yeah. relationships going and uh, doing what we can to keep the supply chain going. Cause you're absolutely right. Um, you know, small not-for-profits can be swept by the wayside in, in times of crisis. But um, I really look at the food trust and other organizations like it as being public health organizations and part of the, safety net and uh, yeah. we operate a whole network of farmers markets across Philadelphia and three of them are actually year round and they have stayed open because yeah. um, we accept SNAP mm -hmm. uh, benefits, formerly food stamps. Um, and so that's where a lot of people, a lot of lower income families are going to get their nutritious food. Yeah. Uh, it's a really important resource for the communities. So, Right now, those are our only programs that are functioning the same way they did pre-virus. Mm -hmm. And they're yeah. actually they're doing boom business because um, I think partly because of the stockpiling mentality, but also because of uh, health consciousness that's, that's kind of working mm -hmm. into the country's um, national consciousness. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm the chairman of the board for the Windsor Terrace Food Co-op. Yeah, right in Brooklyn and it's been a similar experience there where we've we've had our best you know three weeks ever consecutively um and, and part of it is definitely in, in the mission there is very similar um you know trying to get the most nutritious uh you know personally sourced food for the community um and it is member owned and operated meaning you have to be a member to join and you have to volunteer some service but that reduces the cost of the goods. And again, where there's a small team of people hand selecting what's coming in and we're trying to pick, you know, the most nutritional and, and freshest things for our membership. But we also, you know, we, 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 it, what is it here? Is it, is it WIC or am I getting that wrong? Is that upstate? WIC is women, infants and children. That's a little bit different. Um, what's the, uh, I forget the name of the, this acronym for the, uh, Food stamps? Yeah, here in... Yeah. What yeah, is snap. it? It's snap, snap here, too. Snap Nationwide. Your, your audio is breaking up just a little bit on my mind. I'm um, sorry. Over the mic. There's snap. something else. We, we have a terminal where they come in with a card and they pay with that. But it's called... Anyways. Um, you yeah, know, so, your programs vary state by state, and also it's worth... Yeah, yeah. Um, I've only been in this job for two, <laughs> for two months now. Um, so um, it's been, it's been a, uh, a trial by fire. Yeah. Um, and then, so in that situation, um, it's very similar where we see people just, a lot of people are buying in, in large quantities because they're concerned. But another interesting shift that's happened here is that people are, are here in the neighborhood more. And 
they're buying everything completely locally now. So yeah. all the local businesses that are still open are seeing a, an increase because, especially as New Yorkers, it's very transient, running all over the place, right? We're always, right, right, right. you know, out and about and getting stuff from a bunch of different places. Now everybody's like in one spot. We've seen, you know, membership uh, participation go up and, and certainly spending. And in our situation, we allow um, other food co-op members. If you're a member of another food co-op here in New York City, uh, you can shop there as well. So parts of food co-op members that live right here that don't want to go, you know, deal with all that commuting and everything, they're shopping there. And uh, it's it's been good. And it, again, that's a, that's a, we operate as a nonprofit, you know, the grocery stores can't uh, legally be nonprofit organizations in uh, the United States. We get this, sir, I forget the name of the filing, we get this specific filing that allows us to operate kind of yeah. as a, as a yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but outside of our internal culture and, and perception, we're just seen as another as another store. You know, um, but but the the, the threat the, the the blade is always at the throat, as you said, for uh, for nonprofits in times like this. Small nonprofits just go whoop and just get and just get swept aside. <laughs> yeah, but what's been what's been interesting to me this time is I've I've been I've only ever worked in not for profits um, right. for. 20 plus years. Um, and it's always lean. The, the margins are always razor thin. Right. right? And um, when you're grant funded the way that the food trust is primarily, you, you're very focused on your deliverables. So you write a grant, you say what you're going to do and you get the money to do what you're going to do. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. so there's no, there's no contribution to very little contribution to margin from those kind of things. Um, and we've got right. 30, 30 plus funders were living off of a lot of very small grants and then one large federal grant. Um, and so we've been working with our funders to help them understand that um, we're not really able to meet our deliverables as stated in our grants because most of them are pushing into all those hundreds of schools and bodegas and, you know, operating a big network of farmers markets and doing all this technical assistance around supermarket development. All that has obviously ground to a halt because all those places are closed. Um, but very happily, the philanthropic community is responding very flexibly and very, you know, with a lot of understanding. And I think it's because we've positioned ourselves effectively as part of the public health system. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody is interested in, in, in um, investing in now. So for us, now is a time to really think strategically and... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Maybe turn this into some sort of opportunity. Yeah, you know, kinds no. of business yeah. for everyone. We're gonna take yeah. a short. We're gonna take a short break, Aaron. Just hang tight. We'll be back with you, everybody. You're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. 
you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. everybody welcome back once again you're listening to the entrepreneurial web i'm your host jeremiah fox zooming in live i'm making it a verb we zoomed we zoom in at my restaurant della in brooklyn my guest today aaron felder the ceo of the food trust based out of philadelphia he also used to live in a neighborhood so we both deal in food but aaron got his start in another uh branch of uh nonprofit service and as soon as we get him back here uh, on the video. I'm here. I'm here. Can He's you hear here. me? He can yeah. talk about that. And my apologies again. Every week is like we're discovering something new. Last yeah. week, we lost like the first 20 minutes of video. Uh, you know, the, all this technology and stuff I'm not used to. I My lapel mic, it was just sitting on the table that whole first <laughs> segment. And I looked down like halfway through and I was like, shit. <laughs> I might need that. <laughs> so... <laughs> <coughs> that wasn't a cough. That was a cough. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, apologies, everyone. <laughs> nice Dracula <laughs> cough, though, Jeremiah. <laughs> the, right? <laughs> well, the uh, professors made me do that before. He made me fart out of my mouth once. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry about uh, the, the inept audio. Hopefully, it'll be better this time. But every week, I'm learning something new. So, why don't you tell it. everybody, you know, you mentioned you had been in uh, nonprofits for over 20 years, but the Food Trust is something newer for you. What were you doing prior to this? So immediately prior to this, I was the chief operating officer at a comprehensive um, healthcare and social services agency in the Bronx called VIP, stands for Vocational Instruction Project. It's been around since 1974, which is exactly how long I've been around for. Ooh, Um, you old! (laughs) That's why you always beat me up on the mats, man. I have a few years on you. Just a couple. Just a couple. Anyway. Um, so, so anyway, that um, that agency is primarily an addiction treatment services agency. So it had a the first floor of it was a big um, methadone clinic with about fifteen hundred patients a day, and then a lot of other clinical services um, throughout the building, like a federally qualified health center, which is a, essentially a comprehensive family health center, primarily for people on. Um, government health insurance products like Medicaid, Medicare, um, day treatment programs, residential treatment, a homeless shelter, um, lots of other stuff I'm forgetting right now. But I was, Boy, I was, you was, in, the, you was in the trenches. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, yeah. And, the, you know, it's the Bronx, which is um, the opioid crisis is really hitting the Bronx really hard. It's really sad. Right. It's really, really sad. Um, um, yeah. 
I heard another something else just this week about um, one of the reasons they decided to keep liquor stores open and alcohol. They didn't suspend alcohol sales in New York City was because they were afraid the amount of alcoholics that went into withdrawal would start to flood hospitals and they didn't want to, they were already looking at being overwhelmed. How, how is, uh, how is something like uh, heroin addiction and opiate addiction going to affect in your prediction what's happening right now? Because supply chains can't be so great right now for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about that and I'm, I'm totally disconnected from it professionally at this point. So I don't know, but my speculation is that those places have to stay open because they're keeping people alive, right? Um, and it's close quarters. It just really is. Those waiting rooms are jam-packed. The um, dispensing stations are all right next to each other. So I th my guess is probably what they're doing is just taking extraordinary precautionary measures, probably wearing um, PPE, personal protective equipment, to the extent that it's even available anymore. Right. Um, it's tough here. It's tough yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, if you take a, a hospital like Beth Israel that has a methadone clinic in it, how are, you know, how do they, because there's always, you know, people pouring out of that hospital in that corner. My wife works right there. Um, you know, it's, that's a, that's a rough, that's a rough little corner, but that's also a hospital. So they're, they're servicing people as well. I'm curious how they're handling a situation like that, where they've got patients you know, regular patients that are coming in and out of there with with opium addiction related uh, issues, and then they've got they've got a, a crisis on their hands, and they've got a health center, um, and a lot of these places are co-located, and that was a big push, right. kind of nationally to to have services all all under one roof, so that people could go get their methadone, but then also to go, you know, see their primary care provider. And right. now I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's still viewed as a blessing or not. I, I don't know. Yeah. That's gotta um, be tough. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Jim. No, no, no. It's a, uh, um, talking about you, you mentioned something about the food supply chain in the first segment. I think that's been something really top of mind for people. They've been concerned about accessibility to food and toilet paper obviously <laughs> i made a vow that i i will reference the toilet paper scarcity as many times as possible in every show until, you're doing very well so far until shelves are stocked at the deli at john's deli right now you can only buy two two packs of toilet paper at a time there's like a it's it's like allocated the same way like happy van winkle reserve bourbons are <laughs> like you can only you can only get one at a time and they're super expensive well at the grocery store about five minutes from my house they seem i'm not gonna say name just in case they they seem to have either food or paper towels they don't seem to have both ever at the same yeah, time both yeah yeah you know it's a, it's a tough it's you, you need so towels when you cook you need food to cook you know <laughs> it necessitates multiple trips but that's okay because right now that's really the only time i'm leaving my house. right right. <laughs> right although there's there's a lovely path around a reservoir here called cooper river park it's about three and a half mm. miles so um on the rare occasion that we've had sunshine i've gone and kind of walked and run it so Nice. That's been nice. And it's nice to just see other people and smile at them from Absolutely. six feet or, or, or further. 
you know. You know, Prospect Park has been packed. I can't even go in there anymore because um, there's just too many people and too many people congregating in small spots, you know. So I've I found some other, you know, we, we've got a bunch of cool little nooks and crannies around this neighborhood. So I found some other interesting spots to do like my outdoor workout and get some fresh air. Um, but like we can't take the kids to the park anymore. I mean, nope. right now, fortunately, we have the backyard at Della and that's you know, it's fenced off and nobody else has been back there in a long time. So I've just been, you know, they're back there right now, <laughs> you know, just getting some fresh air, but yeah, too many, just too many people around, but the streets have definitely where we're at. I, I'm, I don't know. There's some spots where I think that it's, it's a little too dense, but around here, everybody's starting, you know, I'd say since Sunday, people really started to heed kind of uh, the distancing uh, recommendations but prior to that, I mean, Friday in Windsor Terrace, it was, you know, 70 something degrees. It looked like Mardi Gras. There were just, you know, and now you can serve drinks to go. So everybody had, you know, plastic to go cups from here, from the paddock, <laughs> from the bar, just walking up and down the street. There were kids roller skating and skateboarding and stuff. And I was like, I, I'm not sure this qualifies as proper distancing. But then I don't know, it seemed like Sunday kind of everything snapped in. And, and I think when the governor said, you know, everything non-essential will close APM Sunday night. People kind of got it. But people were still getting their hair done and getting tattoos and like piercings and stuff like that. And Yeah. Um, so here, here in Cherry Hill in New Jersey, it's been the same situation. And the only way that you can get food that you don't make yourself is um, curbside and has to be previously ordered and everything is dark. There's no bookstores. Open. I mean, everything, right? right? Right. Uh, liquor, liquor stores are still open here too, so so um, public health officials recognize the danger. Of, but in Pennsylvania, uh, I heard they were closed. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but it it, it possibly is because they're state regulated there, right. and those those are all um, government employees who work um, in those stores. So, yeah, they might be closed, and there might be people driving over the uh, over the border to New Jersey to get to get to stock up. To get some Coronas. <laughs> yeah, to get the Coronas, right. Um, but, but you know, what's been interesting since people have really started taking the distancing seriously is the ways that we're using technology like Zoom to, to bridge the gap. Um, one of the first things that I did after, after I closed the agency, uh, the, the office, was to start an 8 a.m., a uh, daily meeting with my management team just to look at what was happening with the situation, mm. talk about our programs and all that kind of stuff. And in the beginning, which feels like a year ago, but it was just last Monday. <laughs> like eight days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, crazy. The conversation was rapid fire and there was always new stuff to react to. Um, now things are, are kind of settling in. Um, and so strategies protocols are becoming more permanent mm -hmm. and so those meetings have become a little stagnant so um we're we're injecting a little life into them we're making them more personal one thing is using video technology mm -hmm. so important to see people's faces when you're yeah. just on the phone it is dead yeah yeah no, definitely. Yeah, like, like you know, I run the meeting, so I'll say, does everybody agree with that? And when it's just on the phone, it's just crickets on the other end, right? <laughs> so I, they, they've muted you, and they're like, this motherfucker. <laughs> I've, I've taken silence to, to equal consent. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> just in conference calls. That's because you're uh, a father. <laughs> <laughs> that I am, right. Um, yeah. And hi, Lucy and Emma, if you're watching, I don't know if you are, but you might be Zooming into school right now. Um, right. <laughs> Multiple Zooms, anyway, Dad. Kids are savvy these days. I know, I know. Well, they, they, what's amazed me, just to, to, to pivot a little, is how prepared New York City has seemed for this. Hey, you um, think? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I really do. I mean, I know there have been some hiccups, but to roll out a system like this to, um, I mean, I don't know how many public school kids there are in New York, a million plus. A, a mil- over a million, yeah. Yeah, and so that's the size of Philadelphia. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it, Philadelphia, I think, is is not doing it because of equity issues, because not everybody has this, um, access to the necessary technology. But I know that um, New York City is, and I think that's really commendable. And they must have had a plan in place before this. I mean, I think there were some schools, you know, my wife's in education and uh, and, and I've got two school-aged daughters and, uh, you know, it seems obvious that some schools were already on board with something like this and exercising it to an extent, but I don't think, I don't think my wife's school was. And I think there was a lot of schools that weren't, at, but the, the pressure was just so great. Um, and it's funny, it was like the kids <laughs> were like totally ready to do it. You know, they they just set everything up so quickly, and, and where adults are like, I don't know how to work this. Like a, a nine year old was like, Oh, you just hit this button, and you know, because it's just they're used, they're growing up in a very technological uh, era where where we didn't, and there are things that are just indigenous to them that aren't to us, you know. Um, but uh, it's funny, I've seen it kind of from the back lines where my wife is trying to get a school online, and then watching two other different public schools trying to get the kids online. So I've seen it from both sides and uh, it was definitely a, a big hail Mary, but like you said, you know, you stretch the importance of strategy right now. And I think everybody that's still trying to operate, I know from, from, for me here at Della and at the wine store, we've had to adjust so many things and just on the fly. And this is definitely not a time for, <laughs> for thin skinned people, you know, um, it, it's a it's a high pressure situation on so many fronts. It's it's you know attacking your potential health and well being. It's attacking your finances. It's attacking you know just the future of fucking society in a way. And it's it's super high pressure. And that, you know you'll see a lot of people just fold because they're not they weren't prepared for this uh, in on on a number of different ways. Like we weren't prepared technologically for a lot of things that are happening, but. We're just using our intuition and, and previous experience. And it's literally drawn on every job and experience I've ever had. Like the last 10 days have just like sucked it all out of me where I was like, oh my God, I haven't utilized this skill in 25 years, but I'm really glad I had that job 25 years ago that gave me that information, you know, and it's just been sitting dormant <laughs> in the subconscious work mind for all this time. And it just, it just got like sucked well, out. It's, the last it's amazing how quickly you can access it again. Right. Like <laughs> one of the, one of the ways that I was, have been able to keep relatively calm and kind of keep things going along with my management team. They're all great. My board who are also all great. Um, was what I learned during Sandy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of people are citing that a lot of New Yorkers right now are citing their experience with Sandy 
and even people uh, talking about 9-11 and how that's helping them cope with this particular scenario because even though the face of the obstacle is different, the response is often the same. Well, I mean, dur- so during Sandy, the major difference was that basic infrastructure was knocked out, right? So like yeah. you couldn't have teleconferences if your server room was underwater, which, which right. it was for a lot of places. Right. Um, but at the time, I was running a network of about 15 um, health centers that were lo- uh, located in homeless shelters throughout the city. And what we would do is not that different from what we're doing at the Food Trust now, which is where the yeah. management team would get on a phone call every morning. We'd look at what's what, redeploy staff, figure out what we could do, what we couldn't do, and just kind of manage throughout the day. And it sort of feel it felt like like it feels like now, like it's a yeah. like it's a command center almost. Like we're we're all meeting each other all day, dealing with everything as it as it comes up, trying to keep the cash flowing. Um, so the parallels are really interesting, even though sort of the faces of the disasters or crises are are completely different. And it's almost every day in a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. We're going to take another break, Aaron. We'll be back in just a few, everyone. You're listening to the entrepreneurial web. Beautiful. You're listening to the talking alternative network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. everybody welcome back once again you're listening to the entrepreneurial web i'm your host jeremiah fox here with my guest aaron felder the current ceo of the food trust at the end of the last segment we were talking about how 
uh, certain folks who've been around uh, and, and weathered some storms already, this feels very similar to certain situations. One of the situations Aaron mentioned was Hurricane Sandy and how that affected New York City. And he was managing a, uh, a, a group of healthcare services at the time uh, for especially homeless people um, and how the situation now is very similar. I've heard this, I've heard people uh, that have been around for quite some time uh, compare this situation to 9/11 as well here in New York City. Um, and there have been there's certain differences though. Like with Sandy, there was a full shutdown of infrastructure. People lost power. Supply chains uh, definitely were interrupted. It was hard to get uh, it was hard to get food and goods. Uh, through water, water. (laughs) you need water. (laughs) There was plenty of water. It was a hurricane. (laughs) Funny. That's not fucking funny. Jeremiah. I'm trying to, you know, (laughs) I made a few jokes. Levity is so important right now. (laughs) The extent that we can inject any in, even if it's a little distasteful, but it's I still fun. spend a little too much time with Bobby Seeger and, you know, he just, <laughs> he has no filter and I love it because he makes me laugh and every, every now and then a little seeps through on people are like, oh, and I'm like, you know, whatever, man. Whatever. I haven't seen him put up any naked tattoo pictures in a while. Maybe that's I, his way of kind of being respectful. No, you gotta, you just gotta follow the right accounts. He definitely did one of his legs. He did a video and a photo the other day of his fully tattooed legs in an Epsom salt bath just this past week. He's got a lot of accounts, though. You got to follow that's, him uh, that, that, yeah. that's, that's old tricks, Bobby. Come on, man. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta, we need to see that. Know. We need to see the, those butt cheek tattoos. Now, he just picked up some food the other night and just killing me, man. Just killing Miss me. Miss you, Bobby. What's yeah, up? Yeah. What's up, bud? Um, so, so the the face of the obstacle we were just talking about is is different, but the responses are largely the same. Um, I I'd like to spend some time talking. You know, we could you could interject too from from your from where you're at uh, near Philadelphia as well, and kind of speak uh, from the New York side of things. Like what's not working, you know, um, and what is one thing that has not been, and I started to mention it earlier, has not been interrupted is the food supply chain uh there's there's been at at this point there's there's an overabundance which is a little scary because people were hoarder buying for a few weeks and now their their pantries are stocked but the 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 stores have continued to purchase as if that trend was going to continue and now the the stores are overstocked and then uh especially here in new york where some forty thousand restaurants are either not operating or reduced to probably 25% 25% of their previous business, um, they're not purchasing at the same level as well. So the wholesalers are backed up to the point where now restaurant wholesalers are now offering home delivery service akin to um, Fresh Direct. Fresh Direct or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So they're all trying to, they're trying to, you know, salvage some sense of, uh, of life, continue to breathe life into the lungs of their business. Um, but at the same time, not let all that food go bad. So, it's it's this is something I think that's very applicable to to your side of the industry. It's like there's going to be an overabundance of especially perishable goods, and what happens to that? You know, because some companies don't want to reduce prices to make it more affordable, more accessible. They would rather just sit and watch it go bad. Um, 
what are some of the options in terms of that that scenario? So my organization is really not involved in supply chain. Um, we do have those three farmers markets that are still operating. And one of the challenges has been uh, making sure that the vendors who are the actual farmers right. are comfortable with the precautions that are being taken for their, their safety at the market. So, so demand for their food is way up, but, but there's been some reluctance on their part to show up because they don't want to get sick. So we've put in, um, lots of different precautions like the six foot distancing from the vendors. People have to point vendors are the only people allowed to handle the food. It all has to yeah. be pre-bagged. Union square um, farmer's market is the same way. Now you can't go through and like browse, you tell them and they pick, they pick out your stuff. You point. That, yeah. Yeah, that's there's it. Like plastic barricades in, in front of the food. So. These guards and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but because of the combination of where they are, so they're strategically placed in um, lower income, underserved food desert type neighborhoods and uh, the efforts to enroll people in SNAP, they're doing boom business right now. I mean, I, I, I don't have data yet. Data's kind of slow to creep in, but I've, I've heard that we've had two of our best weeks ever. And, you know, the food trust doesn't see a cut of that you know we're right. not we're not making right. money because the markets are doing better um but the farmers are right and so that's the that, same that's it's the same really at the amount of it yeah same at the food co-op like nobody's there's no entity or being reaping the the extra money it's it's situating us for for longevity which is great but same there we work with a lot of local farmers we go through we order a lot through green market you know we we have a ton of small super small suppliers and and we're really trying to patronize them a lot more right now. So it's good for them. And it's it's obviously good for the consumer to get that, that accessibility. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how they're going to stay afloat, right? Is, yeah, is things like right. co-ops and farmer's market. And that's all, how they've always stayed afloat. But, you know, not to sound trite, but now more than ever. Right, right. no. I'm, yeah. Like I said earlier, we're seeing a big, you know, local businesses that have stayed open. The only reason they're they're able to do it is because people are are closer to home now, and and you know I'm involved in a number of businesses and locally and see you know I know what the back end numbers are, and some of them are like really up because everybody's right here, and they're just like oh we're going to spend our money locally, and that's I feel like for like Le Paddock is still open, Della is still open, Hamilton's is still open doing takeout, you know, a, a lot of other places, and daily I see places just deciding like okay we can't do this anymore, like three days right. in well, yeah, only, yeah. they're just like no can't do it. Well, you're, oh. you're the restaurant business. I mean, I don't know a thing about it, but but I know what everybody knows, which is that it's day to day. Yeah. Razor thin margins, high personnel costs. Right. And, and uh, you know, to cover your costs, you have to do a certain amount of business every day. And uh, under certain current circumstances, how can anyone? You know? No, it's impossible. But what like a lot of us, what we're doing is we're we're, you know, the, the employees that have no other source of income and wouldn't get, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're close. Sorry. You can go find another job. There's just, there's just nothing available for them. So a lot of it is definitely just to keep them employed and safe. Um, 
because you know for me they're like my family you know the people that have that more than half my staff has been here since before we opened and we're going on five years now i mean that's like that's I mean, I've, I've been i've been going to dela for years and one nice thing is that it's it's the same faces you right know? exactly yeah. it is so that, i intend to take care of those people but yeah, yeah we're falling behind on every absolutely everything else <laughs> well you know what'll be interesting will be to see what happens when the stimulus dollars really start to trickle down i mean now you're you're technically a small business, I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So you're eligible for these low interest loans, but I don't know your appetite for going into debt I'm because not of this. Taking you out know? a loan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No way. That's like starting over again. I'd rather close this and save my money and start another another business on my own. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be beholden to anybody like that. That's a terrible way to live and operate. Yeah, agreed. Um Absolutely. You know, you don't want to you don't want to finance your future away just to keep something going when you don't know a when the new normal is going to start and b what it's going to look like. Like you and I were talking about this before. What what is going to be the willingness of people after this is sort of gradually unrestricted to gather? Yeah. What what are what are football games going to look like next season? You know. (laughs) NFL was on the chopping block already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, well, the, the seasons that have been canceled. So, so NBA, NHL, who's going to go sit in a room with 15,000 people? Right. Right. And who's going to have the money left to, you know, I mean, the service industry has been the first to get hit. Yeah. But there will be more casualties to come. And those, the people that are out of work right now, it will be very tough for them to get a lot of these restaurants are not just going to turn their keys and open back up. It's not, it's not that easy. It's, you know, there's a, there's a big financial commitment. You haven't made any money in months. Your bank account is empty. You know, you got to get staff and I mean, food, forget about it. It's, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of people are turning off their, their electrical and their gas. I mean, it's, it's not going to be an easy turnaround. So a lot of those people are still going to be out of work and that's going to affect the next wave of 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 layoffs and I, I that's one of my other big concerns we're going to take one more quick short break Aaron, uh and we'll talk about what i want to pick up with that when we get back okay everybody okay. listen to entrepreneurial web we'll be back in just a minute talking alternative radio 24 hours a day I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com 
All right, everybody. Once again, you're listening to the Entrepreneurial Web. Welcome back. I'm broadcasting here from my restaurant in Brooklyn, the epicenter of this whole thing at the moment nationally. And I'm with my guest, Aaron Felder, who is in somewhere in New Jersey. Cherry Hill. <laughs> Cherry Big Hill. Store, capital of America. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. fun. So um, getting back to where we where we just left off, I was you know I was saying I wanted to talk about what's working and what's not. So one thing is not had an interruption. It's been the supply chain. There's been plenty of food to go around from the suppliers. People are just hoarding, buying it before retailers can get it back on the shelf. And the same with alcohol. There's been, I mean, there's there's a surplus right now. If people just found some kind of rhythm to where they could they could purchase. Uh, reasonably we, you wouldn't see unstocked shelves and everybody would be fed. There's never been a threat of a full lockdown where people can't leave their house. And even in places like Italy, you could leave, you know, someone from your household can leave once or twice a day to go purchase food and things like that. So that seems fine. There's food supply. There's enough. The job thing is an issue and that's going to be an ongoing issue. And I think for you, this could be down the line, something serious. I was mentioning the amount of unemployment and that's probably going to grow through this time period, which is going to make the lower income bracket that you service go whoop like that. And those people, I mean, one of the things they absolutely need is food. And you look at cities like Philadelphia and New York City that have thousands, tens of thousands of service industry jobs. I mean, more than tens of thousands of service industry locations that, that fuel exponentially more jobs. All those people are going to be without work with, I mean, that, I know there's a stimulus package coming through, but it's not a lot of it's not a lot of bread. <laughs> it's really it's not really a lot of money. Not. It, I mean, it's a big number, but it's not enough. Yeah, it's not. It's a lot of people to distribute it to. So for you, this could be this could be a a big. I don't want to say a headache or hassle, or I also don't want to pitch it like it's going to be a lot of work for you soon. Like, oh, good. Like it's going to be a lot of work for you probably in like six months. Like c- come summertime. Uh, all these people not being able to go back to work, needing access to food in urban areas and the lower income bracket. Have you all, have you all talked about that in your meeting shed? Does that come on? No, to the no, not yet. We've really been focused on um, how to hold on to things, how, right. on, how to hold on to what we have. And the second is morale. Um, you and should open a restaurant. <laughs> the, the things we can do for that. The things we can do for that, like we 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 started, we had um, a staff satisfaction committee yesterday, and there were some great ideas. Uh, we're going to do a virtual cocktail party for the whole staff, book club, you know, yeah. things like that, just to just to keep a sense of cohesion. Because I think that's that's super important. Um, yeah, no, I, right? I absolutely agree that the moral battle almost outweighs the financial right now and 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 it maybe even health like if you're healthy if you're not sick it's definitely the big morale battle and that will help you maintain some sort of financial stability of course it might not be the way it was you know back in the good old days 10 days ago but yeah um, right it's it's like what they you know we always heard in jujitsu is that it's it's 75 percent mental 25 physical even right. though it shows up, you know, your daily practice feels like this physical practice, but it's really the, the mentality that you walk around with that that uh, is the real treasure. And man, like I was saying, when I wake up in the morning and I'm just like in a panic, I scramble for those shreds of 
morale that, you know, fortunately I have a practice like jujitsu that I've done for a long time and I'm in a really great community and it doesn't take long for me to get those injections of morale. And I'm like, okay, now I can address what I need to do financially to, to try to survive this and, and still, you know, maintain a good contribution to the community and help people out. I mean, I've, you know, we're dealing in something a little different, you know, the, the, the ends of the food spectrum you and I are working on are quite different, but at the same, at the end of the day, it's still like, providing food for people. But I, I feel like more than ever, you know, I've always said, I don't sell food and, and alcohol. I sell experiences. That's really why people come. It's like, they, of course, they need to eat and drink, but they, they want that sense of something. And right now, I think that's really important to just like still be able to offer that to an extent because people are hunkered down. People are scared. People are nervous. Like what the hell is going to happen? And then you have this little slice, just even if it's momentary, of like, oh, that, that thing. I love that thing. Maybe, maybe that's the fuel just to get you one more day, you know? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think finding those, um, oases in your day, whatever those look like to you are super important. Right. That's something we've talked about in our, in our staff meetings. And there've been lots of good ideas floated around. Um, the thing that I miss the most is group exercise. I can exercise by myself just like anybody yeah. else, but you know, you feed off of the energy of other people, not just in exercise, but in life. And that's, that's the, the hardest piece of this isolation thing. Yeah. Um, it's just not having collective energy, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, I used, I used to hug like 20, 30 people a day in class. <laughs> I know. Me too. Me too. And then of course, you know, over, over the course, <laughs> over the course of the hour, you're, you're, you're sweating and snotting in each other's mouths. Yeah. So I can understand how that would be frowned upon right now, but you know, <laughs> hopefully we'll get back to it soon hopefully so um will your organization uh you said you guys are nationwide would you all at some point consider um how how would it work like could you all work with community-based food co-ops to to reach a, a, a bigger group of people and provide a larger service is that is that possible do you think well, so it would really depend on the co-op because some of them that are member-owned are able to keep prices down because they're member-owned, right? And the markup on groceries at grocery stores is ridiculous, hundreds right. and hundreds of percent points. Right. And in co-ops, it's um, virtually eliminated, you know? So at the backbone of the mission of the food trust is to keep things affordable. Um, I don't know that we have any formal partnerships with co-ops now. I don't know what the co-op model or scene looks like in Philadelphia, but certainly in New York, it's extremely vibrant. I was a member of the um, Park Slope Co-op when I lived there. Um, And uh, I'm, I am not looking for mission creep to change the organization just so it stays alive because it exists for a reason. But I'm also not looking away from any new opportunity that the situation presents either. Um, so that's something I'll take to my board and to my management group. Yeah. I, when we opened the Widgetarius Food Co-op, one of the things that I would I really wanted to see come out of it was, because it is, I mean, it's small. It's a 700-square-foot storefront. It's more like a... Yeah, I've been inside of it. It's tiny, but it's nice. It's like a bodega. <laughs> it's like a co-op yeah. bodega. Um, but but I feel like that's something that could could pop up in nearly every every community, you know, um, and and service, especially the people most in need there. And when you're talking about just like some volunteer hours, that that gets that cost way way down. Um, you know, we offer at uh, at certain income levels like no no investment fee. 
um, to join. So you literally just, all you have to do is work a little bit and you get, and it's like two hours every five weeks or something like that. It's pretty minimal. And then you get accessibility to all that food, really great food at, at the best possible prices. And it's fun. I, Those shifts are fun. They, they often are. I enjoy it. But my, my biggest concern now is just the accessibility. I think it's going to be a major, major factor. Again, starting, I, I think by summertime, we're going to really see that big need. And if we could somehow, instead of satellite, I know they're in like the state of Arizona, there's a co-op uh, organization where they had multiple stores and they were all bound together. I'm thinking more completely separate, just these little pocket entities that maybe were uh, somehow connected to something like the food trust, uh, it, it just in terms of support somehow, it doesn't even have to be financial. Um, no, and, and to it, ensure know, survival sounds a lot like our, our corner store model. And I don't yeah, want to speak for exactly. ignorance. It, it may already include some co-ops. Um, yeah. you know, the, the agency does so many different things that I, I, even two months in, I don't know all of them, you know, really well just yet, yeah. but, uh, right. You're pretty new to this position. <laughs> I'm new, I'm new to the position and, and at this point, half of it has been under the specter of um, the virus, you know, the, the couple of weeks yeah. where it was already starting to spread, but we were open and now the couple of weeks that we've, we've been, you know, working um, distance, you know, so, so it's been an interesting time to lead a new organization through. Hell, hell of a time to start a new gig. Yeah. Well, yeah listen, yeah. man, we're going to have to wrap up anything okay. you want to say to people before we go. Any last thoughts? You stole my message uh, of the week already. Uh, um, yeah, sir. I would just return to that, to, to um, the mantra of you can only do your best. And uh, in, in our morning meetings now, we're starting to do um, something called Yesterday My Coworker. And so what we're really talking about is crazy things that our kids did during meetings. <laughs> right? business partners. Or, for, yeah. or, for those, or for those of us who are... Um, you know, completely isolated and, and alone, you know, talking to our houseplants. And so one of the things yeah, yeah. one of my coworkers said today that was really funny was that they were on a uh, video conference with the funder and uh, one of their kids ran by fully on in the screen, fully nude. <laughs> nice. right? So finding, finding those moments of levity are s- super important to hold on to. And uh, I want to do that to one of my wife's Zoom meetings so bad. So, so bad. Bobby I don't Seager think that style. would be good. What Bobby great teach again? high school oh boy all right man it was so great to speak to you i yearn for the day that i get to choke your neck again (laughs) oh man me too and to everybody who's listening that just as weird as it sounds yes all right man well once (laughs) again have a great weekend everybody we'll see you next week you're listening to the entrepreneurial web talking alternative radio 24 hours a day Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, 
My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 